Hello and welcome to episode 2 of our podcast Wo Buddy. Wo Buddy. Uh <laughs> I'm Shrivatsan and I'm here with my buddy Saketan. I'm also here. Great. Uh so yes, um we're just going to do some brief housekeeping about the previous episode. Uh so Saketan had given a recommendation of Moonrise Kingdom uh and I think I watched it like the next day or the day after. Nice. Uh and I I quite liked it. Uh I going to be honest, I think that is the oldest uh of his films that I've watched so far because I watched most of his newer stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting because normally I try and watch directors in chronological order, but this was an odd, you mm-hmm. know, going back and seeing what they were doing then. The time um yeah, yeah. The only odd thing for me that was kind of off-putting was uh the fact that the child actors is performances weren't as convincing and that the story didn't hit as hard as if it were adults but maybe that's part of the charm i i don't know hmm uh it's difficult to say uh, uh but i mean for example in grand budapest hotel the you know sersha ronan and that i don't know what that that indian kid's name is the guy who acts as mm-hmm. the bellboy uh they they're still technically you know teenage actors in that movie but uh, their performances are much better i think directed i don't know right. if you know i maybe he they had fewer takes or it was a tighter budget at that time because it's a lot older than a lot of his other films mm-hmm. um and yeah another thing that the movie reminded me of was this sort of um video i watched on youtube which was deconstructing his style prior to stop motion and after stop motion which is a very very interesting video in the way that his directing changed so his first stop motion film was fantastic mr fox yeah right yeah. and then after that uh, he made uh, grand budapest hotel and then he made uh, i love dogs yeah. i love dogs which is also stop motion but now french dispatch is going to come out which i'm excited for and that's sort of a continuation in the way that he does what's interesting is that now he actually does the sketching storyboard frame by frame in a very mm. similar way for his animated movies that he does for his live action films and that carries over oh, in an interesting way and yeah. there's also the use of miniatures and things like that which if you watch grand budapest you'll you'll see but yeah i'm excited for french dispatch uh should be should be fun to see it's also got a great cast you know his usual cameos but also some some new faces and stuff so should be cool nice. um And yeah the second point i have is uh all of these different things that we discuss about you know movies uh tv shows music pop culture things we'll we'll put them all into a list uh up somewhere so that you can explore it and if you're interested you know you can use it for future reference or or whatever so that's going to be out there for people who are interested in the different things that we touch upon in our podcast yeah. um yeah so i guess we'll start with the question for today What's up buddy? Um this is yeah so I decided I was going to talk about celebrity culture and I think that's something that's become more uh interesting to talk about since the pandemic started because they've also been in virtually the same situation as a lot of people uh who who you know are also hold up at home but mm-hmm. it it's also revealing some very interesting flaws and dynamics between the celebrity and the people who worship them or whatever but mm. this the dramatic shift in celebrity culture i've noticed has already started to change prior to the pandemic this is a, uh, with social media specifically and i think uh instagram and then more recently tiktok these two i think were 
for me very clear in the way that they changed that the way that we see celebrities yeah. and celebrity culture what i'm talking about i mean to give a more broad definition of what celebrity is uh, i think a celebrity is anyone who's got enough people watching them and watching what they do and they get to be out in sort of public platforms or places where people listen to what they have to say they they may or may not be people in art because you know you could also be like a scientist or an academic who's also a celebrity i mean Neil deGrasse Tyson for example is a scientist but he's also a celebrity uh you know what i mean so it doesn't have to be someone who's in the arts or in entertainment exclusively but that's often what we think of when we think right. of celebrity to clarify i'm wondering do youtubers and that kind of thing also count in this yes they they can and i i think that's an additional part of the social media you know vlogging and vlog culture where yeah uh so the first shift that is sort of happened was with social media now the social media change had two effects one was for celebrities and the other was for non celebrities for celebrities it had the effect of humanizing their lives to us a little bit because of instagram and because of youtube and other ways i mean you can take will smith's channel for example which he has essentially made a a place where he can show people what his life is like as a huge hollywood star what his family is like and things mm-hmm. like that yeah. uh right so that's one way of what's happened so the uh, the fact that their lives are different from ours doesn't make them aloof they try and re- make themselves as open and transparent with their lives even though they're different from from other people who aren't at the same let's say level of uh fame mm-hmm. uh on the other hand this has also allowed more ordinary people to either get overnight success or more often get a reasonable number of followers and people uh follow them and social media it capitalizes on what celebrity is bedrock is which is it allows you to attain the same uh false sense of self importance uh, is the cynical way of of thinking about it. it it allows you to believe that at least within let's say the 100 200 people who are listening to you as an audience um you can say things and they will then either applaud or respond or react to what you're saying mm-hmm. uh, i i remember uh i i don't think i think it was bo burnham who made this observation which is at it was at the end of his uh the last of the three specials he released where you know social media has blurred the lines between uh audience and uh and 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 the and creator and because of that it's also blurred the lines of what is art and what what isn't because you would think that you could be a creator only if you have a certain platform but the democratization mm-hmm. that social media has brought has complicated that a little bit and has allowed people to do it at a lot smaller scale and in in ways yeah. that allow them to experience celebrity even though at a much less scale than say Will Smith but experience celebrity nevertheless and uh, i think the, the there's another side to this that's also the democratizing influence Mm-hmm. um before social media you were only influential by virtue of um some kind of old privilege let's call it so you were either rich white um some kind of moneyed person you had made it big you generally had a lot of years on most people you were in your 30s or your 40s when you were kind of influential mm-hmm. um and people listened to what you had to say that's no longer the case 
um for people who are celebrities they they also have a reach that's uh that varies that's flexible but with that influence comes um at least now there's a lot of conversation around responsibility so even if you do have only 200 followers even if you have only 600 followers mm-hmm. you still have a responsibility to um for example during the black lives matter movement to educate the people that follow you about systemic racism um and, and this is one of the things of that i want to talk about do you have a celeb- do you have a responsibility if you have a certain number of followers to do that is i mean because a lot of these people what they're famous for is what they're yeah. good at doing but that doesn't make them an expert on on a subject such as black lives matter and that's sort of the second part of what i want to get into but i i i want to go back to the thing that you just mentioned uh bojack horseman it it explores this whole idea of celebrity very well i'm not going to mention much about it uh, and go into depths of sort of the way that it satirizes and explores some of these ideas because i know you haven't watched the show but i highly mm-hmm. recommend anybody who's interested in in watching how they deconstruct celebrity and uh you know this idea of moral responsibility and you know role models and things like that quite well very intelligently the other thing again i i think tiktok was very very fascinating to me as as a thing that started in like late 2018 i think uh it was like october 2018 if i'm not wrong that okay. it blew up and a lot of it was just very young uh you know teenagers or children kids etc who are just using their phones to broadcast themselves and their personalities to many people right so they yeah. would either be um, performance or singing or dancing or whatever it was and that would gain them followers and quote unquote social media clout that allowed them to have a level of celebrity whether in their town in their school or even across the country and some of it is just absurd uh, i don't I mean, know if you've heard of this uh, there's this tiktok person called charlie demelio and she managed to get onto uh, the tonight show with jimmy fallon and oh, i was wow. very surprised about that i was like wow they have managed to get some sort of coverage even by traditional media standards because they have amassed sort of tens of millions of followers even though the, the i think she's only a teenager like she's 15 or 16 or something like that and all she does is uh dance moves to different songs that are not songs she makes but existing popular yeah. songs it i i mean insane. i so this is i actually i'm surprised to hear about this jimmy fallon uh, charlie demelio um instance but i think it's one of very few at least from what my understanding is most of my friends and peers are on tiktok i'm not mm-hmm. um but my understanding is tiktok is very different because i think that celebrity or at least the way that i want to define celebrity is you're famous because of something but your your uh, celebrity exists outside of it um and i don't think that that's necessarily true of tiktokers they're famous within tiktok and that's it you know an instagram hmm. celebrity is is a celebrity outside of instagram someone who's a youtuber is known outside of that Um, are they though because i think that if you remember for the long time what the people on youtube used to complain about is that they have a widespread recognition amongst their fans and within the youtube community but the more traditional media network executives people never recognize their credentials or their you know the the power of the base that they had cultivated 
uh with people and it was very difficult for a lot of them to transition to more traditional uh right. media i mean i guess the other thing that's different in my understanding of tiktok is content has a bigger identity in tiktok than the content creators um and i'll explain this i guess it's every time i hear someone talk about tiktok they won't say this tiktoker by name or any kind of description but instead describe the tiktok itself um hmm. and so to me that is in celebrity right that is um the content getting elevated and yeah. different so they'll say there's this tiktok that i've seen because 25 mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. people have done the same thing yeah. and that concept is great so um, it's it's the meme culture element of it which exactly. is that the exactly. idea is stronger than the creator or the yeah. person itself yeah. yeah and so that yeah. influence exists in a very liminal space for a very small period of time mhm yeah uh but again so going back to what you said about youtube i think youtube was interesting at least because that's the only real social media which i don't even know if you can categorize it that way uh it's the platform that i have had most interaction with because i'm not on yeah. you know not really on facebook instagram tiktok snapchat or mm-hmm. whatever so i Damn noticed old buddy yeah i noticed <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're pretty old i realized that snapchat is mainly by people who are at least 5 or 6 years younger than us that's sort of the generation of people it's interesting using the it. the kind of generational uh wing span of each of these social media it's mm-hmm. kind of they're they're following each other with in quicker succession i think facebook kind of spans a a generation of maybe 15 20 even more years right and then um instagram has again kind of includes millennials as well as um gen whatever gen we are gen z right um, we're on the border of gen y and gen z so yeah so we're in includes, the late 90s it yeah. includes all of that and then snapchat includes kind of just our generation and the ones after it mm-hmm. and then tiktok is even fewer and so they're following very quickly but they're including fewer um contingent whatever demographics as far as i'm mm-hmm. able to see mm-hmm. No I th- I th- what the thing that I wanted to get to cuz I think this is an interesting di- discussion but I don't want to get sidetracked by social media conversation broader right. cuz I want to go back and focus on the the celebrity element yeah Th- there was a sort of populist wave that I saw on YouTube specifically with the commentary creator uh, genre of people which blew up uh, in mm. like the mid 2010s cuz uh, you have people who basically look at things that are happening either in on youtube uh in the general culture space or even now even in politics or something and then they commented on it and the reason why i found it interesting is because i recognized that the commentator themselves was very similar to a common man perspective and that allowed them to gain credibility can you give an example Drew Gooden Drew Gooden is one of the, right, the right, U- right. YouTubers who does a lot of this uh he's you know very articulate he's got a good sense of uh, humor i think i believe he was he started off on vine before vine shut down mm. and he switched <laughs> so he's one of the people who switched but wasn't a complete disaster unlike yeah. the the pauls um but yeah so uh, him and there's there's many others and now the the commentary genre itself has now broadened to include a lot of different people uh mm-hmm. i think jarvis johnson is another person who i saw of uh, more recently who is also in that same bucket um these people to me were very interesting because now people have begun to realize i i or at least i found that okay you need to be a, some level of a populist you have to be someone who is 
who who people recognize as being very similar to them in terms of their lifestyle as opposed to celebrities who it's very clear that they live a life that is above and very different from the rest of us yeah and i think that growing realization that celebrities are out of touch with the realities of normal people and that they lack the self awareness about this fact became most clear during the pandemic so now i'm shifting to my second portion of my my thought process which is if about if i may interject with something that's somewhat tangential but mm-hmm. very very parallel is a conversation about bollywood that i was having recently mm-hmm. that um and this is kind of a shift that's happened in the mid 2000 whatever early 2000s right um is that uh, if you just look at what bollywood was selling in terms of the karan johar movies it was very aspirational content mm mm-hmm. uh, it was stuff that you really can't relate to sharukh khan is in new york i don't know what that's like as an indian mm-hmm. i don't know what american suburbia is like i don't know what this kabhi khushi kabhi gham really rich house is like all of these movies are by karan johar um an indian movie director and then there's this shift in the last 10 to 20 years in indian cinema we have more populist content that's more slice of life and relatable so i think that that's a general pop culture shift as well with celebrity maybe uh, the reason why i would disagree with that is for two reasons one is i don't think at least you know from what i know of what you and i have watched we haven't really kept in touch with what bollywood has been doing of, since i think the mid 2000s cuz that's the last time we were really watching a lot of hindi movies that are coming out right now uh so i would argue that there's still probably a lot of popular movies that perhaps have shifted from looking at a more international way but they they've just uh co-opted that with the more metropolitan uh elite lifestyle it's it's not turned into a completely populist thing that's one and second the karan johar movies were targeted to be relatable to people who were already emigrated abroad so for them that life was uh, relatable and that's like oh that's me but for us it wasn't uh, as in for people who were who were back in india so i think the the aspirational reason was perhaps not why those movies were as great as they were i think they were <laughs> as great as they were for the people that they were because they were not aspirational but reflective of their realities do you see what mm, i mean maybe maybe, maybe. I, mean, i think it's a that's different just sort of a, yeah, that's but, a, just a counterpoint that i yeah 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 uh but yeah so i mean there are many instances since the pandemic so i'll just sort of go through the list briefly of the things that have happened uh that basically it it become a little aware that many but not all celebrities seem uh to not know how tone deaf that they might sound when they give opinions or their sort of thoughts on matters which they have little expertise on so or they just say things that are tone deaf because they have no idea what people's lives are like so the first one i think was the ellen ellen tried to do a monologue thing i don't know if you heard about that that people really it backfired because ellen made a joke about how uh i mean yeah, sure it was a joke so you know some people really took it seriously when they shouldn't have because you know that's how jokes are nowadays but whatever uh she basically said something of um she was stuck indoors uh and something something she compared her her life in her mansion to being like what life in prison is like oh god right so didn't do, didn't go down well especially because yeah. people know and can see how wealthy rich and in general i think it's funny cuz ellen is is quite ironic ellen released a special called relatable 
<laughs> uh which i watched i and i did not find funny at all and i didn't and it's almost like she was mocking the fact that she has now become so rich that she is no longer relatable and it it was very clear that that is the case and it's generally right. been a trend where there's a lot of jokes that people uh, or observations people have made about ellen in general where she's very out of touch with what normal people's lives are like because she spent so long uh, being a rich and famous person okay so yeah so so that's that's one example the second was the galgado video imagine thing i don't know if you mm. heard or no yeah yeah, yeah. that Any, that yeah. yeah that incident that was another one of like okay these these people have no idea about uh, i think that's it though i think you've touched on a very interesting point and i think the the differentiator if we look at if we consider will smith's channel a minor success in that it hasn't caused any infractions with anybody right mm-hmm. um the difference is that will smith is not trying to relate and i think that's the key celebrities yeah, yeah exactly shouldn't, shouldn't exactly fool themselves into thinking even that they are relatable or that they can relate they should just try, and i think the the key is to be vulnerable and transparent instead yeah about who you are and yeah. honest about it right correct um to just be frank about the fact that yeah i have a really big house and i'm i can go and whatever jump on a what is that some cathedral or some bridge in hungary or something whatever he did you know will smith uh he does some crazy things like that that's not him being modest about his life Mm-hmm. um it's just him being honest about it. and i think there is a difference right if you're trying to be relatable you're it's a minor lie i think yeah. for no, a celebrity what, to what try i felt really bad about the you know the imagine video and you know there's been a similar newer instance of this thing called uh i take uh responsibility i don't know if you heard about that this is happened hash- yeah okay so basically it's a that so the imagine thing was in response to the pandemic the i take responsibility is in response to the black lives matter and the protests and uh you know things that are going on with uh, police violence and brutality in mm-hmm. in in the us so the uh, there's a bunch of celebrities who started saying i take responsibility for this i take responsibility for every time that i didn't say anything at my voices now in both of these cases they it's a genuine sentiment that they have and it's they 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 mean it from the the best part of their hearts that they want to do this just to say to people that yes we care and we we are also in this together with you mm-hmm. i think the problem is that people just especially with the pandemic and this they are experiencing a lot of these things so viscerally in their real life uh that they're like no you don't actually get what's happening you think you know what you, what's happening yeah. but you don't actually know what's happening and that became the problem uh, uh and it was kind of it was kind of sad but uh, and i think a lot of people saying a if both all of those videos are very cringy and b it's obvious that these people are have become uh you know tired of not getting the attention that they were starved of since the pandemic which perhaps right. you know that's a little mean maybe but I don't know maybe there's some truth to it because to be honest I think most of what celebrities do is be around lots of people mm-hmm. and who knows that that could do something to you uh, uh but I don't know I I Sure I, but I, I think I mean that's that's still it though I think just being real about some of these things and putting a little bit of thought into it I mean we were talking about this earlier right in the first half of this conversation it's what what you do is not this is not what you do right this is not your job your job is not mm-hmm, to be mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and so there are and there are i think different uh, types of 
celebrities on social media some of them exclusively present their work and then just leave it alone um so they're only on social media to promote their next art next yeah, whatever yeah. right then there are so there are um, activists and those people know what they're talking about the third kind of person are these people in the in between who are confused about this rhetoric around responsibility and so they kind of unduly pressure themselves into feeling like they must speak out but they're yeah. not informed enough to know what to say yeah or how to say it yeah i think in, with the pandemic people definitely shifted their attention suddenly to experts in their fields you know people in yeah. this, uh, medical sciences or whatever and and politicians those two so people who are decision makers and people who know what they're talking about yeah which uh but uh, at the same time i i don't want to feel like it's a generalized statement to say that celebrities don't know what they're talking about and this whole stay in your lane kind of attitude because you know the it's the it this whole discussion it begs the question that you had asked at the beginning which is should celebrities attempt to use their platform for change and be role models and be activists or should they just stick to what they're good at doing and and keep quiet about everything else uh, i think they should do what they want i mean they're also human beings after all and if they feel like that's something they need to do i don't know i don't know if the pressure on them should be as i mean i don't know if there should be a pressure on them to do it hmm you know because some people are just not cut out for it obviously yeah. from the examples of uh, you know things going wrong as we've seen and i also think there are so many different ways of relieving pressure at a time like this that i don't think you necessarily have to follow what everybody else is doing and a couple of good examples of how i've seen two examples that i want to give um of celebrities exercising their responsibility in a way that's uh it, to me is very impactful one is ehsan uh from the the bollywood uh, music playback trio shankar ehsan and loy um ehsan is the guitarist he uh, didn't have a very huge following on his instagram but what he started to do was he would live stream every night um and allow independent musicians random people who are just musical enthusiasts to join his live stream sing to him for 5 minutes and leave hmm that's him doing what he knows how to do in a way right yeah that is and it's spreading joy it's relieving pressure it's exercising his influence responsibly responsibly in a way that's recreational um and that's one angle the and other side steps it side steps the whole virtue signaling and moral posturing exactly um theme. yeah the second the second one is kind of the other way to go at it right acknowledging that you don't know enough um and both i mean tanmay bhat is also doing this and through the honestly channel he just does these things where he'll invite an expert and learn from them hmm. um but kartik aryan also did this series so kartik aryan is a kind of budding star he kind of came from uh, indian tv and now he's done a couple of movies um not any outstanding actor or anything like that but a lot of people like him and he's pretty attractive he knows these things to be true what he did was he started a series um where he invites an industry professional who's on the front lines to tell him what's going on hmm so they're they're the one who's talking he's learning from them and i think that's a good way to give somebody a platform but he's using his platform of celebrity exactly. to allow someone who doesn't uh, have the reach and plus his fan base can get to learn along the way yeah. through that process you know there yeah. are, there are so many different ways of approaching this that are not just you know 
mm-hmm. and i think i mean for me at least personally i've used this time because i know obviously the south asian culture has issues with um anti blackness that it really needs to confront and deal with um i know that i've had issues with that right in our um schooling and upbringing and stuff and our friend groups and socializing and stuff um but i i i mean i kind of thought about it a little bit is that should i be doing all of this stuff on social media and making posts and sharing posts and i was like no i'll just keep quiet let my instagram stay whatever dormant yeah. and consume whatever information is on there but that's precisely what i think happens right you see a lot of people who because now they have the option with social media and they have perhaps a false sense of self importance they feel it necessary to share their opinions and views about things to to everyone which for me is not necessarily a bad thing i just think that it's not coming from a from the right place it mm. might that and that's that's what my i want to give similar to you two examples of people who are celebrities and are not experts in that field but know what they're talking about so i think the pandemic and the black lives matter are very different things because the pandemic was a medical thing and it was more people who are you know know about economics public policy health etc those kind of experts yeah with this it has some of those people people who are involved in administration in in legal matters in the judicial system but it also involves people who are familiar with what black life in america has been like for the past how many ever years right right so two people one is killer mike who i don't know if you're familiar with killer mike i'm not okay so killer mike uh is a rapper from atlanta uh, atlanta being the black city in america mm-hmm. i mean that's where hip hop is uh right now and yeah so he's very vocal of, and being proud about atlanta being a black city because it's i think it's like 75 80% uh, black so you'll see uh black people of all walks of life you won't see them being only a certain kind of stereotype of uh being poor and in the projects or something like that so mm. th- that's and so killer mike is also part of this uh, uh you know hip hop duo called run the jewels with, with lp mm. um he was you know very very uh impressed with bernie sanders he'd been following since the 2016 campaign and then he was back with him during the 2020 campaign as being he is the one who's going to to help you know the he said blackboard should go with bernie sanders because in a lot of ways sanders's platform was very similar to at least in his mind to in killer mike's mind to martin luther king's idea of uh class politics that he had also made part of his revolution and when the civil rights yeah. movement has started and so so killer mike is someone who is extremely we- very very knowledgeable and well read because of his own curiosity and thirst about black history he knows what he's talking about because he's dedicated a lot of his time about learning from people who know and reading books about it mm-hmm. similarly uh, dave chappelle is another example um after the george floyd thing had happened actually around the, i started to you know watch a lot of uh dave chappelle stand up and then i think after a couple of days my the first thought that came to my head was what does dave chappelle make of what's going on right now right now i know that's an odd thought for me to think okay what is this celebrity thing but for me dave chappelle is more than a celebrity he's sort of a right. he's he's a philosopher and uh a, a, a modern thinker and who 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 when i listen to him i know that he's going to say something that's very powerful strong and makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. and coincidentally he ended up doing a very small show uh, for about 25 30 minutes uh, that was in ohio which is where he lives Uh, that was released on netflix's youtube channel and it was called 
826, I think, which is sort of the length of the George Floyd video. So he named it after mm. that. And, you know, it was, it, I was very happy to watch it because it's something that I know I wanted to see. I wanted to see what he had to say because yeah. he as well is another one of those people who is very, very well informed about the history of, of black America. Mm-hmm. And he understands the issues very well. And uh, it it was it was incredible to watch. I highly recommend uh, a, a anyone who's interested in 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 comedy, but in Dave Chappelle and also in uh, understanding the the Black Lives Matter movement to go, go and watch it because basically what he one of the things he was saying was about his great grandfather. He said when my my great grandfather was born a slave so it's not that long ago and things like that yeah and and the many many different examples he gives of police brutality and killings against the black community as well and the reason why i liked it so much was because a lot of people i mean some people are complaining you know it's not really a special it's not that long and also it's not very funny but Mm. to me it was he was doing exactly what george carlin was doing back from the 70s until his death uh, he was speaking truth to power. He was right. he was talking his mind and he was doing it eloquently. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't. It didn't need to be stand up comedy, but he had. He's sort of an inheritor of that same style of oration yeah. in front of people, where he's very charismatic, very confident, and very clear about his ideas and his morality, and he he tells people mm-hmm. about it. And I found I find that video very very inspiring. So I think that's. That's sort of where I'm. I'm gonna end my thought process. Which, in conclusion, is there are celebrities who are kind of out of touch and don't know what they're talking about. But then there's also Dave Chappelle, so we're all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, buddy. Yeah. What's up with you? What's on your mind? Um. Um. Oh, so basically, I. Uh, had lent my guitar and my electric guitar and my amp to a friend, a dear friend, Sharan, mm-hmm. um, for a while. Um, and so I just brought it back uh, to my place this last week. And uh, for my birthday, I think in 2016 or 2017, um, Appa, our father, had uh, bought me this trio, um, which is the it's a, a pedal that generates a backing track if you feed it some kind of a loop of chords um, and so I kind of got back in touch with my improvisation and stuff that I really enjoy doing that I haven't done in a really long time um, and practicing scales and that kind of thing and so I was thinking a lot about um, our respective experiences learning music um, and how that's changed over time um, and how it's influenced how we view music consume music um, and our kind of current relationships with music so I wanted to talk a little bit about that mm-hmm. yeah so if just to start I guess I mean we should start with you because you started first with music you mean yeah learning music right uh, I so a brief introduction of my musical journey so I mean obviously the stuff in the previous episode we recorded about my journey into music listening and but briefly Saketan had described my own introduction into music learning so I started playing the piano when I was about seven or eight I can't I can't remember around that age I think and 
it was you know classical western classical piano so uh you know bach and you know uh brahms uh chopin debussy all of that kind of stuff uh bartok that i remember there was bartok it was a very mm-hmm. nice piece by bartok that i had i learned so i mean i spent many uh years training in in classical music but i i began to learn the limitations that, that music had uh while still appreciating the beauty of that music i think it it wasn't necessarily the method in which it was taught because i think that was part of it maybe but i i found difficulty in trying to understand what the point of what i was doing was uh mm. because i wasn't learning to create music or even to understand it because i was le- i had learned music theory so i understood how music worked how chords work what chords are what their structure is and things like that uh but a lot of what i did was basically you practice really hard until you get things right and then you move on to the next thing if you've watched whiplash you <laughs> understand what being a uh, and that's why that movie didn't make sense to me as a jazz movie that made sense to me as someone uh who's who's learning to be trained classically uh in in an instrument yeah there is there is a genuine struggle to it and you will always be disappointed in your in yourself and you always have to keep working harder because you can always improve and there there was a lot of of stress and you know i'm i'm not going to lie and always practice because practice is the most important way of of getting better uh and you know over time i just became slowly more and more jaded with the whole idea because when when you become a classically trained you know instru- person who plays an instrument and especially the piano you see the piano it's not often that you can be part of an orchestra it's not that you can't but more often than not pianists are solo instrumentalists that's one mm-hmm. the second is that the the way that your path goes as a classical player is that you have to go into playing concerts and things like that that's what happens right uh, it's very but that that was not the kind of music that i was raised on or listened to it was not that i didn't appreciate the music that i played i appreciated the beauty and the difficulty and the challenge of learning i think what i liked and learned most is about the satisfaction you get from working hard on something learning to overcome it and then realizing after you have done that 3 4 times that you have now able to continually challenge yourself and get better and do harder things and going back to doing easier things you realize i've come so far that was the key lesson that i learned uh in my journey of uh of being a classically trained pianist though i think i slowly dropped off i i remember in my second year of of university i did a workshop or sort of a course with uh some other mu- musical students in jazz and that was very interesting i think that was probably one of the most inspiring things i uh, the last inspiring things i did in terms of playing my instrument the piano mm. uh it was very open and a lot but it's not as if that comes easy either a lot of that is also practice but uh, the the freedom that you have in jazz is also is also there there's a lot more freedom in that it's a lot less restricted it doesn't feel like you're learning to do something by rote or by practice you know it's not like learning tables which is a lot of right. which is what classical music feels like often yeah um yeah and mine mine is almost i mean very different and maybe it's the personality of the instruments we chose respectively but um or our respective personalities themselves but mm-hmm. 
the combination of the two perhaps my uh, musical upbringing was very different i chose the guitar i think a year and a half after srivatsan started to learn um how to play the piano and then i had a very uh, kind of peppered with different kind of breaks um in my learning due to different reasons uh, instructors who didn't quite work out um and so i ended up learning over the course of 7 years different um i think from four different teachers three different kinds of uh, music and i spent a lot of time at least during the first um third of my guitar learning just being very frustrated because initially i was trying to read and learn classical music which there was no appeal for me because being a classical guitarist is markedly in my opinion worse than being a classical pianist um you have Fair. none of the glamour and all of the pain um yeah. and so then i moved on to this guy who was a very method and technical oriented technique oriented um fellow who taught a commuter class so i was a kind of a 8, 9 10 year old kid among 20 something year old professionals who were mostly talking about their jobs while i sat in the corner trying to work on my skills over and over and over again for months on end um and then i moved on to uh, actually the son of my brother's piano teacher at the time who kind of finally i think either i was at the age where i got it or he was the kind of teacher who did um but he gave me kind of a mixed learning where he would teach me chords and songs at the same time he would teach me scales and that kind of thing and so it was a very hybrid learning um unfortunately in the process i wasn't able to get music literacy which is uh learning how to read um or write i developed an understanding of music i kind of knew how scales worked and that kind of stuff vaguely um but it was very informal and so that was kind of and then towards the last phase of my learning um i i learned from ross um who was a professional musician for a while and then started to teach classes um for individual students and he taught me improvisation and jazz chords and jazz standards and the blues and the kind of stuff that i think we had grown up on a little bit um and it was definitely closer to home than yeah. the stuff that i was playing because we never grew up listening to classical music it was always it was mostly rock and alternative rock which has a f- closer foundation to blues than yeah yeah um so and so because it was so familiar i ended up enjoying it a lot more um that also allowed me to perform uh, in in environments that were less unforgiving than the ones that srivatsan had to perform in right i mean There's my the... performances and this is the main thing right all i was doing was learning pieces to prepare for an examination it was a very academic in that sense and i cannot tell you but i have never been more nervous in my life than those examinations i gave those are by yeah. far the worst not to mention the uh, <laughs> the sweating profusely from my hands right. uh, problem that i have uh, you know and all of the other issues but basically for me there were no avenues of performance not to mention that i shocked away from opportunities in general because i never liked it and i never felt that people understood or appreciated it either right um and so completely the opposite side of the spectrum kind of the stage became a space for me to occupy as a guitarist who was playing and learning rock music and songs that were popular and so i found my way into a lot of uh, performances in school um and then 
I delved into songwriting and stuff um, soon after. Um, and at the same time, and so I think at around that age, there was kind of a branching out of um, how, because we kind of stopped learning at around the same time. Um, but where we went after that was, I think, uh, very, very different, but also very, very interesting. And now I think we're both at a very comfortable place with um, our music. Hmm. I I disagree with your statement that we both stopped learning around the same time for two reasons. I think I understood what you mean. I think you mean that we stopped learning our instruments uh, with a teacher by going yeah. to, to class. Through instruction. Week, through instruction. But yeah. we changed. So I changed my learning into learning more about uh, music in terms of the different uh, artists and genres of music that there are out there. Uh, and you changed your learning to be about songwriting and making music yeah uh, which both of which were are are a continuous process that we have dedicated and engaged ourselves with yeah um and so yeah i just wanted to talk about that shift and how at least our our new modes of learning in the last um 5 to 6 years have been informed by or shaped by our experiences learning music in the earlier childhood ah uh... That's interesting. I think for me, it's very difficult for me to draw that connect. And sometimes I don't even know how that happened. How did I end up doing classical music for so long? And yet all of my musical interests, uh, I mean, none of my musical interests align with that at all. So there's, there's a disconnect that I can't seem to explain at all. I yeah. will say this. Um, what I learned from classical music has more to do with the art of practice than it has to do with the sound of the music itself. Hmm. Uh, in terms of hard work, dedication, and working on things, repeating things over and over, the whole ten thousand hours of a, of doing a certain activity makes right. you an expert. That is what I learned from from the music that uh, that I did. It was less about the musicality of it. It was very hmm. academic the way that I ended up learning yeah. music. But I enjoy music because of the intangible elements that that are there in it at least now when i listen to music yeah. it's not I say that that's a that is a huge shift because i think obviously i think a consequence of um and this is the element that we haven't addressed is our relationship with each other um has also meant that the ways in which we were learning music at the time intersected at odd moments and so when i began writing songs or progressions of my own and creating music initially you were still not i think at this level of um at this level of understanding about music where you're where you're able to describe it as it being the intangible kind of others things the little things um i think you were still very um conscious about structures and patterns and that kind of stuff and so i i remember and you've you've always been and continue to be kind of my um biggest at least the the most important person who i look to for musical advice um and now it's even become musical inspiration you'll send recommendations my way mm-hmm. but at the time it i mean i will admit it was quite difficult for me um to impress you and that ended up being my goal for a good couple of years was to just come up with a chord progression where you didn't criticize it yeah um well and... so the way i started to appreciate music began to change right because around my teenage when i started to listen to 
different music so i moved away from you know i think coldplay and john mayer and moved more towards radiohead big shift yeah. that happened and radiohead is when i realized the beauty of the chord progressions and the whole production aesthetic that they would that they would do mm-hmm. on kid a and amnesia specifically because i listened to those albums so many times mm. and and if you remember uh, i would learn to play those radiohead songs and love to play them because they sounded incredible playing them and then the problem i realized was that because i learned to play classical music playing pop music which you know radiohead is also pop music uh it's very very it's overly simple and it's off it's too boring to play mm-hmm. because once i've learned it there is no challenge in learning and because my incentives with my instrument were aligned with how challenging is it for me to learn yeah. to do something so i was only and that's and that's why even the songwriting aspects of it didn't interest me at all because mm-hmm. I, i i understood the theory of it so well that i i knew that you could just i could write the music that i wanted to compose before i i played it and wasn't something that i needed to to shuffle around on the keys with before i figured it out yeah this again going back to jazz i think this is why i like jazz so much because jazz combined both technical expertise that i did not have yet it's mm-hmm. still because it's a style of playing that's quite different from classical the way that you play that was one and and two is that the composition was not following the same traditional um classical music standards the scales were different the progressions are different and the structures themselves were very very different that's why i liked it i think jazz is still much more challenging and therefore it interested me yeah um and i know you know the reason why you know going back to what you said uh you know the chord progressions of the songs that you tried to play that didn't impress me or whatever was because i had already opened my, i was impressed and i was obsessed with a different kind of music i was you know i was obsessed with uh radiohead at the time or then later on you know i started listening to some thelonious monk or john coltrane and some of that other stuff and you know i got very very caught up in music that was either technically very good or was just so mind blowingly different from everything else that i i liked it because it was like nothing else i'd ever heard mm-hmm. obviously it's very very difficult to expect that from uh you know a 15 year old who's playing the guitar i didn't yeah. realize that but the problem was my ear was not able to appreciate the simplicity <laughs> perhaps of what you would play and again this goes back to the link of my playing the instrument for an audience i knew that what i was playing would not be appreciated Mm. almost because i knew that what you were playing was being appreciated so right. i i scoffed both at you and and the <laughs> audience, and the people who listen to it because right. to me i mean again i think the piano is an easier instrument in the sense that it only requires you to to press a key down whereas the guitar to me is much harder to play i think learning to play the guitar is harder but once you've learned it even a little bit you can play a lot more which is not the mm-hmm. case with the piano you can yeah. learn to play the piano quickly but you can't learn to play a lot when you've learned a little right uh so i think that is also part of the the dna of the instrument and our our learning cycles and the whole idea of the challenge of 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 learning things so yes i mean i think the cre- easiest rebuttal that you could use uh to me was but you don't understand how hard it is for me to play and come up with these chords the reason why i didn't appreciate it is because i thought of chords as intangible objects of 
frequencies and sounds which i could just as easily produce from my piano as you could from your guitar yeah the idea was not of how and how hard it was for you to make those sounds but whether those sounds were appealing and different and unique mhm and i, I think conti- the, yeah one consequence i think of this kind of challenging aspect of our relationship ended up being that over time i've now my relationship with consuming music and playing it is exists in two very different spheres which is i think very very strange for most people so if somebody asks me to play them a song i will almost exclusively play them a song that i have written mm-hmm. um just because i don't learn songs very often that i haven't written unless i'm doing a cover um for like a social media post or something and then i'll forget the song again um but i remember the songs that i've written my consumption of music is entirely for inspiration for taking notes um for taking tips and tricks and that kind of stuff and that i think has been a consequence of the way in which i started to songwrite as well as our uh, interchange exchange relationship of criticism and feedback yeah um we're at like 53 minutes I think we can move to recommendations. Yeah. Um my unless, recommendation unless you have some final concluding thoughts that you want to finish before we get to that. No, no, no. I mean, this is just one of those conversations that uh it's just a kind of deep dive into our uh childhood, I guess. Mhm. Um but no, I think the the conversation about change is a good way to end it. Um and so yeah, I think we can move on to the recommendation section. Yeah, do you want to go with yours first? Yeah, mine is fairly short. I just listened to it yesterday um and I'm not sure it was released very recently. I'm pretty sure. Um it's song 33 by No Name. Um I don't mm-hmm. know if you've heard it, but um No Name Chicago based, I think. Uh yes. she's a rapper, um slash hip hop artist, um slash poet. Um and this the song is obviously about the recent events. um surrounding the black lives matter movement and just you know um her kind of voicing her frustrations um especially around um the disappearance of Tonyan um who was a 19 year old activist who was i think sexually assaulted um and so yeah um and in general using that as an example to talk about the safety of um black women in american society. Hmm. I only listened to song 32 I think. I haven't listened to song 33, but I'll definitely mm-hmm. check that out. Uh you know, No Name is one of my favorite artists. Room 25 was a life-changing album for me. Mhm. I I love it too. Yeah. Um yeah, my recommendation so you know, I went back into my second love after music which is comedy after a long time. Started watching a lot of specials uh started listening to comedy albums again um and one of the specials that i watched recently on netflix that i really really liked it hit me was uh mark maron's uh special called too real which i think mm. is from 2017 uh he's a very it's not explicitly political but you know that he is very political it's mm-hmm. that he's so he's a left uh left wing comedian uh mm-hmm. but he's not the sort of new wave progressive left wing he sort of the i mean cuz he's like 50 right so he's more establishment right. democrat kind of mm. uh, left uh, left wing comedian you know so most of his you know the kind of person who's been uh, talking about the bush era 
and a lot of that in his politics and trump was just another in his long canon of uh, criticisms of the gop and you know his most of his audience is the upper middle class white liberal types who right. who 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 might have not even thought of uh, voting for clinton as the lesser of two evils those sort of Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I thought it was very interesting for several reasons. One is I mean there's a parallel to the kind of stuff that uh, Stuart Lee does, uh, it which he does to a certain extent. So one is the the political stuff that he talks about, but the other is that he has a persona, which is kind of self-loathing, but it's also angry. He's in his middle age, contemplating death and his relation with his parents, and and some of the bits that I really enjoyed were the longer. you know sort of 10 to 15 minute bits that were really really conceptual and and interesting and then the way that he ties some things together i i thought it was it was a very very uh thought provoking and and funny and kind of sad but in a mark maron way uh watch so yeah that's my recommendation great yeah i think that concludes it for this uh this week's podcast and yep. uh yeah we'll see you guys next week with a new one bye bye wabade i think about you